Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, writer, director, comedian, NASA geek. That's right. I'm wearing a NASA hat right now. I don't work for NASA. I'm a geek for NASA. Oh, I just took some Boy Scouts to uh, the Space Center Houston and got to stand next to, got to camp underneath a Falcon 9 rocket Woo, at night. Got to see the space shuttle perched on top of that 747. I was a kid again. I, I, I built the model when I was a kid. And um, all the activity that's happening around the Artemis Project, I'm getting excited again. So yeah, NASA geek. I hope you guys are having a great week. Sometimes, I don't know what jobs any of you have as you're listening to me. Uh, this is This podcast is all about uh, being creative and a lot of times focusing on people that have created for a living or are creating for a living. But inevitably, in most businesses... And in most industries, you're going to have to collaborate. But man, there's most creative careers you got to collaborate. I've just been thinking about collaboration uh, this week and recently. Um, my son Nate had a group project he had to do. Uh, oh yes, in school, the old group project. I'm sure you all can remember your favorite and your least favorite group project you had to do. You're always paired with uh, a couple of really good people. You're like, yes, it's like, you know, you're, you're planning your own baseball team. Sometimes you're stuck with these people. The teacher assigns them. And then sometimes you're stuck with a couple of yahoos. You're like, ah, oh, great. They're not going to do anything. And then you're right. They don't do anything. And you end up doing most of the project. Or, I don't know, maybe some of you guys are the guys that skated along. You're like, oh, great. She's a genius. I will just yeah, color the pictures. Um, but... It is a real balance. It's a real trick to collaborate, especially on those group projects. Uh, but I, I'm realizing the older I get that the reason we were made to do those dumb group projects is because it's not even about the subject matter of the class you're taking. I mean, it is. But it's also about learning how to collaborate, how to build something with other people, how to finish something with other people, and even communicate throughout the week. Oh, are you doing your part? I'm doing my part. And then you realize, oh my gosh, the other person... They are bringing this to the party that I didn't even think of. Uh, maybe I need to bring this to the party. Um, and that is what is amazing about film and other collaborative uh, industries or collaborative art forms is that there is no way to fully predict what the end result of that piece of art is going to be if you are collaborating. I mean, I think also with yourself. I think that uh, you know somebody who's a solitary artist who is doing everything themselves, they still have these amazing discoveries where you have a plan. I think it's always good to have a plan. I've always talked about that. You're outlining or you do a, a first sketch or you even have a theme written out on the wall in front of you. You have a plan. But inevitably, something takes over. And it might be God speaking to you. It might be you just unlocking a lot of dormant memories in your brain. It may be the actual process of when the paint hits the canvas, when the uh, words hit the page, you're like, wait a minute, if this character says this to this character, well, that's interesting. Well, what would that mean for the entire scene? And so there is a certain collaboration you do internally, but when you bring in other people, um, you're going to get other bits and pieces into that recipe. Even if you're the writer and director and you're a control freak, something's going to happen. Some actor's going to show up and they're going to have the wrong haircut or they're going to say, I don't want to say it that way. Um, you know, or you get, you get on the location you're going to shoot on and you're like, guess what? There's no hill. Um, I know the scene calls for a hill. They're supposed to run up a hill. What if they ran down this creek bed? Well, if they do that, then we have to shoot the whole house scene from the back of the house. Oh, Oh, that's an interesting back porch. Well, maybe they sit on this bench. Things start to evolve is what I'm saying. Collaboration. You're collaborating with the environment around you of where you are creating. You're collaborating with the other people who have different skill sets than you. Um, and that is a, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. Um, you can be saddled with people you have to collaborate with in a group project at school. Or even a, a producer says, uh, my nephew is going to be a producer. He's got a lot of great ideas. Uh, that rarely is a good news. That's rarely good news. Like, oh, hey, guess what? This nephew's actually pretty great. 
Oh my gosh, thank goodness he's here. He just told me something about my script that I didn't realize after 25 years of writing. Um, but, you know, sometimes there are these wonderful blessings and surprises. And um, you also have to realize when you're collaborating with other people of other skills, um, you know, I don't technically know a lot of things about film. Some people uh, ask me, you know, because I've made some animated movies, and they'll say, um, they'll even introduce me. I'm speaking somewhere. They'll go, he's a director. He's an animator. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know that I am. Well, what do you do? What do you do exactly? I mean, you animate the film. No, I don't. Uh, I could sit in front of a uh, some 3D animated software. I know what Maya is. I know what it kind of can do. Uh, but I am completely lost. And I need people with skills that I don't have. Um, Sound is a mystery to me. Sometimes I even don't know what good sound is. I'll have to have the sound guy go, oh, that's great. This is what you want in the mix. You want that deeper end. You know, and I, I've gotten to know a little bit of what I want, but boy, it is a mystery. Uh, I would never put myself in front of a soundboard or um, know what kind of microphone is going to work best, even in recording an actor in, in the studio, one person in one booth for one set of lines, I am relying on so much collaboration. So um, I don't think you can get too um, cocky and say, well, you know, if, if you're ever in a position to be the director, even the writer director, which I've been, I've been both. Um, everybody kind of treats that like an auteur and everything, but, but <laughs> there's a lot of the filmmaking process I don't even know how to do. If you left me alone with the equipment, I would be terrible. So um, you know, you're just kind of, you're at the front of the ship, but you certainly don't know how all the pieces of the ship work. So I would say honor the people you're collaborating with and, um, and know that they're going to bring something. And, and sometimes it's scary to say, well, there are some holes here in I've written the script, but I don't quite know how this monologue is going to go. But if you've cast somebody who it's their job to figure out how that monologue goes well, then that actor is going to bring something you didn't expect. Um, so, so collaboration is a scary thing, um, but it's also a blessing. I, I had one particular project I was working on, and we were in the script and storyboard phase. So it's still very rough. Things are, you know, we're just seeing, uh, I'm, I'm reading as temporary voices to very sketchy storyboards. Everything's just kind of chopping together. And I feel pretty good about the script. And then I start to feel pretty good about uh, the reels. But then I'm like, well, once we get a good actor in here, you know, once we bring in the right music, I started saying things like that. And this producer with good intentions said, Hey, don't rely on your actors to save you. And he said, for that matter, don't rely on the music to save you. And I was like, well, I, I'm not going to rely on it, I guess, but everybody, I, I walked away from that conversation realizing, and this is my mantra, one of mine is that everybody saves everybody. I don't know that I'm I'm going to turn in a weak script and say, well, the actor will ad lib. But the actor will save me. The, the, the music will save me. The editor will save my scene. But then my script will save that actor who came in that day kind of grumpy and it's like, look, just read the words. Hey, guess what? It happens that today these are great words. And that kind of inspires the actor to do a better job. So we're all saving each other. So yes, the actor will save your script. If you've got a weak scene, some days they will. Some days the right piece of music will make you cry when there is no word spoken. So the music just saved that scene. The editor just saved your movie because he said, you know what? I don't think we need that. She just said, you know, I've been looking at the order of the scenes and you got to put this scene before that scene. Or <laughs> this is a big one. My editor would always say we're two thirds of the way through the scene. And they say, I think that's where the end of the scene is. I don't think you need this next minute. And I'd be like, no, no, no. And then they show it to me and I'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> so we all need each other when we're collaborating on a project and everybody saves everybody. So again, that doesn't mean go into it going, well, I, I hope I got good actors because my script sucks. No, uh, but it is never more true than in animation. In animation, collaboration is key. And I think that's why it's hard for some people to accept that when you direct an animated movie, or when you write in animation, that you're not, quote unquote, a real writer, that you should be in protected by the writer's guild. Uh, because typically in animation, you do have much more collaboration than you do in other live action uh, film. 
But I think that's why it's all the more amazing of a filmmaking process. Because you might have uh, two or three writers come and go. You might have 20 different storyboard artists come and go in your, in your film throughout the two or three years of, of making your film. But everybody's leaving their little bits and pieces, their little vegetables and bits of broth in the recipe. They're all putting a little bit of something in the soup. Now, if you're the director and you're stirring it up, you're like, hey, too much salt, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to go with this soup metaphor too much longer. I don't know where it's going. See, I'm collaborating with myself, with my own uh, stream of consciousness. But at the end of those two or three years, I guarantee it is mostly the film you set out to make. <coughs> but there are setbacks and budget problems and time problems, schedule problems that will make you make different decisions. And there will be collaborators that bring in good stuff and bad stuff that changes the end result. And hopefully most times at the end of the whole project, you're looking at the piece of art and going, wow, I really enjoyed this piece of art. But guess what? A lot of it I, I didn't anticipate. We're gonna change up the show a little this week. Um, you know, a lot of times I take one topic um, with uh, uh, one interview with a guest or I take on one movie today. It's a hodgepodge. This is a hodgepodge week. Do people use the word hodgepodge anymore? I do. Uh, lots of things happened this week. Lots of things are starting up. Um, we're going to talk about the Mandalorian coming back. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple new trailers. And um, also a, a great new animated film that is now on home video, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Um, my boys will evangelize this film to anyone who will listen. And they are teenagers, 13 and 16. They're telling their friends to see it. Their friends are seeing it. Why would an animated movie about Puss in Boots be this good? Uh, so I'll talk to them about that. And uh, so l let's get started with a hodgepodge uh, and a hodgepodge away. I don't know if that's a verb, but we're going to hodgepodge it. Let the hodgepodge begin. Uh, that was my Super Friends narrator. Meanwhile, with the Super Friends at the Hall of Justice. There was literally a show where I believe Batman and Robin and some of the other guys were time traveling. So there was an A story and a B story. And the narrator literally said in the show, meanwhile, in the future, which is one of my favorite narrator lines. Meanwhile, in the future. And we just rolled with it. You have to with time travel. But uh, anyway, back to the hodgepodge. Uh, we've got several things to talk about that are coming out very, very soon. The first thing I want to talk about is a show that I love so much. I just have to start sharing it because every once in a while people go, um, I want to watch something new. What are you watching? Poker Face, guys. Poker Face, Poker Face, Natasha Leone, Ryan Johnson, Poker Face. I know it's on Peacock. I know it's another streamer. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want any part of that Peacock. I was like, Peacock, be on your way. It's just another person that wants my money. Um, but I figured out a few ways to uh, get streamers um, as part of like my T-Mobile uh, bill or as my AT&T internet bill. I'm getting a couple of streamers for free now. So I was like, okay. And uh, then we were iced in for four days here in Texas. Uh, literally couldn't leave the house. Four uh, snow days for the kids. They loved it. But then finally, along comes Peacock with a deal uh, for a yearly fee that was so low, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, fine, Peacock, fine, I will try you. And then I discovered all these shows that I wanted to watch. I got to watch another couple seasons of AP Bio, another hilarious show if you want to watch it. But I want to talk about Poker Face. Because if you love Ryan Johnson and you love the films that he's made, and we've talked about Knives Out and uh, mentioned Glass Onion uh, on this show... This kind of is like a Knives Out every week. Now, it's not as intensely uh, plotted. It's not as dense as Knives Out. But it has the same feeling. And uh, Ryan directed, I believe, the first two episodes. And he's helped create the show. And Natasha Leone. Who uh, who doesn't love Natasha Leone? I don't know because she's kind of like she's kind of like Aquafina, but she kind of is like Columbo. So she's kind of like she has a smoker's voice. She's trying to quit smoking, but uh, she's got the Columbo vibe. She's kind of like she stepped out of a noir film, and she has kind of had a second act, a comeback, and we all love that. And now this is a show that gives her a real showcase to shine, and it gives kind of the Ryan Johnson. Uh, method of unspooling a crime story, a weekly voice. And so if you love Ryan Johnson's stuff, 
or you love Natasha Leone, or you just love those old-fashioned shows, like Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, Heart to Heart, just mystery of the week shows, which I don't know that we have a lot of those anymore. When you watch this show, Poker Face, you're going to go, wow, I haven't seen a show like this in a long time. And yet it also has some filmmaking style to it uh, that we also only see in the movies. Uh, the way the camera is moved and the level of actors they are getting. Um, huge cast uh, coming in. Adrian Brody, uh, and con confidentially, I'm kind of working on my Adrian Brody impersonation because it's kind of like you got to put your tongue in the back of your mouth and you kind of got to go to the East Coast a little bit. That's Adrian Brody. So Adrian Brody, he's in the first, he's in the first episode. But then you get Nick Nolte and you get... Um, you get a lot of actors who we haven't seen on screen for a while. Uh, Ellen Barkin, uh, um, you know, uh, people that that they don't get a lot of shots at doing lead roles anymore because they've aged out of kind of the traditional roles they were they were part of. So you're going to see a lot of actors in this show that you're like, oh, my gosh, uh, there they are. Uh, I, I've and, and Tim Meadows does a dramatic role that you, he would never get to do anywhere else. So. Um, and of course, Natasha Leone, she's a kind of a, a drifter. You'll have to watch the show to see why she's a drifter. She moves from town to town. She is on the run. She is off the grid, but she can't help getting involved when she sees a crime because she is a human lie detector. And she, she, it's just this magical thing that we give the character. Ryan Johnson toyed with it in Knives Out, a person who cannot lie. Well, this is a person who can instantly detect a lie and calls BS on it. And I'll say BS on this show because that's what we say on this show. Um, so it is a fascinating kind of a show. And, and the other thing that I love about it, and I can't figure it out yet, but most mystery shows, we, the audience, know as much as the investigator. And by the end of the show, we figure out how they done it in the whodunit. But this is a different kind of whodunit. Or as Captain Raymond Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine would say, a who has done this. One of my favorite jokes. On this who has done this, we see who did it. We see, I'm just spoiler alert on every episode. You see a crime committed. You see exactly how they do it, but they leave a few narrative parts out and they, they recontextualize how they did it as Natasha Leone's character, Charlie. Of course, she's named Charlie. Some people call her Chuck. She stumbles upon as she's a drifter. She's taking odd jobs. She'll stumble upon some of these people. She'll bond with some of these people and that makes her care enough to try to figure out who's lying and she'll see who's lying instantly. But why are they lying? What happened? And she starts solving crimes, murders, thefts all along the way. And even from the opening credit titles, uh, the opening titles alone are styled to look like late 80s um, adventure and crime shows. Like the style of the titles takes me back to Chips and Knight Rider and, you know, Murder, She Wrote. This, the titles have the have the copyright information at the bottom of the screen. Um, you'll know it when you see it. It'll take you back. It'll take you back. But Poker Face, that's the big uh, uh, first thing I wanted to talk about that um, as I have come back to do more of these episodes, I wanted to tell you, I highly recommend it. It does have a lot of language in it. It does have some rough violence in some of the episodes. So not for younger kids, not family viewing, but I would say teenagers and up. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about are a couple of trailers showing things that are coming soon. One thing that is coming back that I am so excited about is Ted Lasso. The Ted Lasso trailers are dropping. Uh, they've got the Rolling Stones song over the trailer. You can't always get what you want, which is always somehow an emotional song. You put that song over footage, you get emotional. Um... And I did. And it's not even footage that reveals anything. It's like shots of characters just kind of smiling and nodding meaningfully. Um, and you, you get maybe a couple of lines of dialogue. A at one point, my wife, she said, um, aren't these just shots from season two? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I think these are new shots. So it's like they're not even like revealing shots. There's a couple of them where you see big stadium shots or, oh, remember that character's coming back. Um, I love these characters. And again, this is another streamer you got to go get. And I hate that you got to go get all these different streamers to see these shows. So I'm hoping that some of these shows as they age will start to be shared on other platforms. So yes, you do have to go to Apple TV to get Ted Lasso, or you have to know a friend who has Apple TV and say, what's your password? I don't, I don't recommend that. I'm not condoning that. But uh, Ted Lasso is another film like Poker Face film. It's another show 
that the reason people love it and are going nuts for it, um, somebody asked me recently, why do you love Ted Lasso so much? And I had to think, um, it's because there's nothing else like it. It's a flavor we're not getting. It is relentlessly optimistic. It is shamelessly optimistic. The lead character, yes, he is uh, Ned Flanders. I mean, he is the nicest guy in the world. He is a country bumpkin from the Midwest who is now in the cynical, cynical world of high stakes British football, I guess. I I don't know if it's high stakes or not. You feel an intensity. And so he's surrounded. That's why the balance works. He's surrounded by cynicism. He is surrounded by hard, tough people. And he patiently wears them down with his positivity. And you would think that would be nauseating or cloying or saccharine, but it is not. When I saw the first trailers for Ted Lasso, I was like, I don't know. Sudeikis is really doing a big character here. I don't, I don't know if I can take this every episode. And it's amazing how sometimes trailers mislead you into uh, the tone or the, the amount of time you're going to spend on a tone or a voice. Um, so for better or for worse, sometimes trailers mislead you. But I will tell you, if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, uh, this character, he will win you over the way he wins over the cynicism around him. And I am so excited he's coming back. I don't know much about the season, and that is what is delighting me. I don't know anything. Um, but season three trailer just dropped. Uh, season three is coming very, very soon. So if you can get to an Apple TV uh, streamer, uh, if you can get to somebody who does have that, uh, gather together. I think it's even a show that I remember way back in the day, we used to have Thursday night parties. I would go over to friends' houses and we would watch uh, Friends, Seinfeld, Frasier. It was like this solid block that it was worth worth it to get together with friends and eat dinner together and watch a block of shows on Thursday night. Um, I think we've lost that and it saddens me. But I think Ted Lasso might be one of those shows where you want to get friends together and watch it. Because there's so much to talk about. There's so many laughs and there's so many uh, tears you shed by the end of every show. Because you know, everything I'm going to talk about that I'm excited about has good writing. And this show has such good writing. Um, okay. So, uh, that's the new trailer. And then the last trailer I wanted to talk about here in this, uh, segment of hodgepodge, um, people are talking about the new, uh, Disney plus movie, Peter and Wendy, Peter Pan and Wendy. That's what it's called. Peter Pan and Wendy. Do we need another Peter Pan movie? I don't know. There's like 75 of them. It's right up there with a Christmas Carol in one of the, <laughs> Stories that is most retold. I guess we just love this legend. We love it as much as The Wizard of Oz. Um, But it's a complicated story if you unpack it in a a grown-up way. Kids can love the escapism of Peter Pan. But some of my favorite versions of it... um, uh, There's a live-action version. I think it came out around in 2000, 2001. It was a beautiful live-action version. And it is about growing older and about letting go of childhood. And how that's painful. And how that you can't be a child forever. Um, And I think that's the ultimate lesson of Peter Pan, even though it is a very childlike fable. So uh, David Lowry is the director and it's worth it. I think it's going to be worth it for me to give him the time of day because he has uh, he's done some incredible, crazy films. He is uh, he's a guy who can take a film and truly show it in a unique new way. Uh, David Lowry is known for The Green Knight which uh, I have not seen but understand is super trippy, and I do want to see it. And then he's also responsible for bringing back Pete's Dragon as a live action. So uh, Green Knight, Pete's Dragon, Peter Pan. Basically, David Lowry, (laughs) he loves things that are green. He really loves the color green. He's like, well, wait a minute. Does it have a a green somebody in it? Uh, Peter Pan. All right, I'm in. Um, So the trailer dropped. People are talking about how murky the cinematography is. And so I was prepared to, uh, you know, make a joke on Twitter about uh, Peter Pan and Murky, the new trailer. But I don't, I'm in, I'm interested, I'm interested. Because it's David Lowry, and when you first see the Lost Boys appear on the scene, they're they're very tribal and earthy looking, uh, very interesting. Um, I think the casting is great. We've got a, uh, we got a diverse Peter Pan. We've got a non-white Peter Pan, which I'm cool with. We've got a non-white Tinkerbell, uh, which will go along with, uh, you know, the diverse casting of many of the Disney live-action recreations. You know, we've got our uh, uh, Little Mermaid recastings that everybody was talking about. So I'm, I'm in. I'm in because the epic shots in this trailer really thrilled me, gave me a little bit of goosebumps at the very end. There's, there's shots of a flying pirate ship and Peter Pan making a, a giant leap off of a cliff. Um, and... It, it, there's some moments that I have to trust 
in the director. I personally become fan, a fan of filmmakers more than I become a fan of individual franchises or characters or films. I will follow a filmmaker. As I've talked about Ryan Johnson, I'll talk about, I'm, I'm more and more interested in, in David Lowry. Uh, it's, it's the same thing with, um, uh, the director of Paddington is the director of Wonka. They're doing kind of a prequel of young Willy Wonka. That sounds like a terrible idea until you tell me that it's the director of Paddington. And then I'm like, and then I sit forward and go, oh, well, I'm a little interested. So that's Peter Pan and Wendy. Uh, they don't show us much that's new. Jude Law and a ton of makeup, almost uh, unrecognizable as Captain Hook. But I love Jude Law. I love the young unknown uh, cast of kids. And I love the filmmaker behind it. So he his visual take on this uh, is all we see in this first trailer. And the other amazing thing about this trailer is that it says on Disney+, Plus, which I have. And it is amazing to me that we live in a world where this movie at this level is not in theaters. It just drops onto your streamer and you just sit on your butt on your couch and watch it. Um, that makes me kind of sad. That makes me kind of sad. I almost feel like um, the studio's should tighten their their belts a little bit and say, you know what? You can only see this in theaters. And and let's drive people to the theaters a little bit more. Um, anyway, so um, as I say that, the other things we're going to talk about um, on this episode are two things that are coming to your TV screen. Um, one is an animated uh, show. It's an animated movie, Puss in Boots. It's uh, What have they made, like eight Shrek movies now? There's like, there's like four Puss in Boots movies and four Shrek movies. Why? Why make another one of these? Why is this so good? Well, I, I'm going to pull my boys in and get their opinion. And then, of course, we'll talk Mando. But uh, first, let's talk about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And now it's time for the section we like to call... What do the boys think? Oh, it's been a while. Yeah, it, it really has. Yeah, we're good to be. We're glad to be back, though. We're happy to be back. Yeah, say your names. Uh, I am Nate. And I am Elliot. And uh, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. And I'm their dad. Hi, and dad. I like uh, talking to you guys about uh, movies and TV and stuff. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. wish. It's so cool. <laughs> There's definitely a lot to talk about because I loved this movie very much. Yeah, well, we went and saw it at the movie theater, mm -hmm. and now we're talking about it because it's coming to uh, VOD. It's coming to home, uh, home video or home streaming, whatever you want to call it. So there are a lot of people that missed it in the theater, and a lot of you guys are 13 and 16, yeah. and some of your friends are like, "What? It's a cartoon. It's an animated movie. But it's, but it's more. But but the people that have seen it." are so excited to yeah. tell other people about it. So tell us about it. I mean, <laughs> to start, it's like when you think of a DreamWorks movie, uh, they're good movies, but they're not really like layered movies or like, oh, I really love... They had some of the best design, uh, art design or character design I've seen in, in any animated movie I've seen before. It's more like, uh, oh, I thought this character was funny. Oh, I thought, I thought that line was pretty nice. Uh, but this movie... It's hard to find something I don't like about it because mm. it's just full of just amazing choices. The characters are great and memorable. The art direction is just amazing. So many great scenes and, and areas that they find themselves in. And the story is just feels so complete and there's so many different layers to it. It's just really, really great. I could talk about each of those. Well, and we don't want to tell... Uh, if people go see the movie, want them to be surprised. Yes. So not too many spoilers. But it does. It feels different than the other Puss in Boots movies. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. How would you say that? Uh, you... I feel like even though it's like a movie that's kind of meant for kids, it's way more mature. Mm -hmm. Like, and what what do you mean by that? It just more like it has clever? Some more like it is more clever. It has some dark concepts that we usually don't see in young media. Yeah, uh, yeah. like what dark concepts? Uh, like, there's a character that is the wolf, and he is intense, man. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, Puss and Boots, he has had many adventures, and I think you know if you watch the trailer, there's a lot about a cat has nine lives, and um, but he feels like he's running out of time, and it feels like death itself is all around him, and so there's the, those dark ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and and it they also made it look different. They did. Yeah. Um, you guys, you guys are in animation. You guys are doing your own animation, mm-hmm. and you notice the different frame rates. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Some of it felt a little uh, off putting, but I think that. I think that overall it did help you focus on uh, certain characters. Like there would be certain movement that would be really high frame rate, and certain movement uh, it that would be lower frame rate. And I think the I'm pretty sure the fight scenes were lower frame rate mm. than than other stuff. So it made it feel really snappy, and snappy so, and choppy. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really fun and fast, fast paced, and really helped with the pacing, which I thought was interesting. I don't think I've seen a lot. And of there there are moments where like the backgrounds will just turn into streaks of color, like anime, yeah. right? Yeah, they'll do. They did a lot of stuff like that. You would almost do in a two D movie. Some, yeah, some yeah, stuff yeah. almost looked like a painting. Like reality would just kind of uh, fall away sometimes in a fight scene. It looked I, very like painting. Yeah. yeah, the lighting and the and the sets would change. It almost felt more like a fable or a fairy tale. Yeah, where reality was changing around them as they went on this quest. He and these other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's less real. I think that the Shrek movies were. Uh, you know how realistic can we make this look? You know, with green grass and all the trees and all that. And this this kind of really leaves reality behind at a certain point. You almost feel like you're in a in a fantasy world with Puss in Boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. That's good. What 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 else did you guys think of? Why why um, would you tell somebody your age to go see it? I also thought that like some villains like they have a tragic backstory, like their parents died or something, or like they were teased as a child. Uh, I mean, it's kind of one of those, but the the villain, Jack Horner, he's just so irredeemable. And <laughs> he's pretty horrible, isn't you he? You want him to die. He's just a bad person. You know, I've seen some people talk about this on the internet, uh, but a lo- some of the recent Disney movies, like uh, Encanto, the Buzz Lightyear movie, there was one other one that some people brought up, there haven't been any actual villains. Right. They've always been, like, half-villains. Like, so- a good guy who just has a problem with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But... This this is one of those old school like oh nefarious he doesn't have a mustache but mustache twirling villains and I love it I I I he's one of the best parts of the movie yeah but, but voiced by one of your your favorite guys now. yeah John Mulaney yeah and uh, we should talk about not only is it uh, really making the lead character Puss feel like a cool new character like mm-hmm. he's very funny in it it's very mm-hmm. funny. But also uh, just some cool new side characters that are pulled into this world. Yeah, we get uh, Kitty Softpaws again, his yes. love love interest. But who else do we get to meet? Uh, oh, I keep forgetting what they ended up calling the dog. It, but... was, it was just puppy in Spanish, but I don't know. Spanish. Oh yeah, there's this there's this little like stray dog that he at first I'm not sure who voiced him, but at first he bugged me, and then he really kind of grew on me and was very charming. But I was I was going to bring up uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah, they were really cool. That, I, awesome. I was kind of expecting that to be like, oh, I get it. It's it's those characters, but they're cool. But I re- I really liked what they did with it. They made them very charming, and they made well them... also yeah, just cool action characters. Like Goldie was yeah. Goldie had her own backstory that we learned about, yeah, yeah. and that was uh, Florence Pugh, who uh, you've seen in uh, in Black Widow. Uh, what's her What's her name in Black Widow? She's oh yeah yeah I Black Widow's her. sister yeah. Sister will, uh, Widow. I don't know. Um, um, and um, all the bears talk with like a Cockney accent. Yeah, that and all like working class bears. <laughs> um, but it was almost like uh, a, a family of burglars. Yeah. They were like kind of this family of criminals. And it, was, it made them really cool. Yeah, it was really fun take. Who else did we see? Oh, there were these chefs. There was like, there was like an the army of like a, a chef yeah. assassins. Oh, the baker's dozen. The baker's dozen. dozen. That was great. I think what I why I really like recommending this to people is because, you know, some people like their movies to be comedies, some people like action movies, some people like like really big topics. And this movie is like all of that. It has all of that. It's super funny. It's got these really fun action scenes that are really well staged. And then it's got like these really cool story themes and character arcs that like all meet really satisfying conclusions. And it's it's just so great. It's so satisfying. There's a little bit in there for everyone. What I also like about it is that, like, a lot of children's stories make it, like, sugar-coated mm. and, like, have to preserve the youth. But, like... <laughs> preserve uh, the youth. Uh, in this movie, like, they tell it as it is. They make all of these dark themes super <laughs> dark. They make you afraid what? of them. Well, yeah. it's not, like, terrifying dark, but it's pretty close. Like, they they, they do a good job of... 
making you feel what the characters are supposed to be feeling. And that's yeah. that's good. It's impressive to do in a kid's movie. The dark character that we're talking about, this this deadly character, he, uh, yeah, you, you feel a, a lot of intensity when he's mm-hmm. on the screen. And uh, you talked about the designs. The designs, uh, the characters are so cleanly designed, especially this bad guy, the couple of bad guys we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and and I back to Goldilocks. So she's got kind of these like Princess Leia uh, puffballs on her head, <laughs> these swirls of hair. But everybody's so like well, um, well designed. It's like a pleasure to watch the characters move. It's yeah, a, yeah. A cool and and again, I, I just keep going back to the whole world. Like kind of ebbs and flows and changes like a painting almost. Uh, each scene has its own personality. And I think what you guys are talking about is like there are like these layers mm-hmm. that like everything that's happening in it. That's why I keep saying the word fable, almost like an Aesop's fable or a parable, mm-hmm. that everything they're going through in the quest has like a double meaning or like yeah, yeah, yeah. is symbolic of a of a life journey. There's a lot characters. of in-the-face symbolism with like the the one uh, area they end up spending most of the movie in that's really clever and really fun to watch. The whole done. forest? Yeah, yeah, the forest, the dark forest. And I don't think it's getting, giving anything away that, like, the big uh, MacGuffin of the movie is uh, a wishing star. No, right? yeah, yeah. The wishing star that no. will grant your one wish. Mm-hmm. So the bad guys want it for to, to grant some power wish or some evil wish. And uh, Puss wants it, to, uh, I guess, to, like, continue having more than nine lives or <laughs> yeah. or, or to cheat death. or, or uh, But everybody has their reasons for wanting that one wish. Yeah. It's very interesting. We won't say, but what everybody chooses in the end. Yeah, it's very cool how they um how they answer that question of like if you if if should you get one wish, what should it be? You know, like it's like and the experiences they all have together yeah. change what they wish for or what they want by the end, which yeah. is interesting. Um cuz I think a lot of good stories are all about like you're watching a character, you get into the characters but then you watch them make choices and you're like, "Oh, I hope they make that choice." And they make a choice you don't expect or they they make a choice that's harmful to them. And like that's so in this movie, it's so interesting because I think I guess I'm saying I did. I had no idea how this movie was going to end. Yeah, no, me neither. Yeah, that's pretty rare. The whole time I was I was coming up with new ideas of how they were going to tie it all up. Yeah, they're, like there's expected things like it's kind of a quest movie. And you know that Puss needs to get to the end of his quest for a reason. But by the end of the movie, yeah, there's just like. <laughs> Down to the last few minutes, you're like, I don't know what everybody's going to do. Even even the yeah. people that are they're his friends, his friends and his enemies start making different choices than you expect. Which is rare for an animated movie uh, to do. Like that's, it, It's pretty clever in terms of modern animated movies. It's not very cliche. You don't really know what's... It's, it's very original, I think, in yeah. its storytelling. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, what else can you think of that, that you would tell somebody... You're saying it it is worth seeing even if you're an adult or a teenager or mm-hmm. other things you like about um, it? The like, design of the movie and the progression is really well-timed. Like any scene where you'd be like, like just even like starting to think about getting bored, they hit you with something interesting. And it's just like, there's never a dull moment in that movie. Ooh. Even the slow scenes are scenes that you can't wait to see what they're going to do. So even even when it... I think a good movie will slow you down. It's not all action. But then it's this very interesting, creepy moment. Or, you know, what, how are they going to make get it out of... How are they going to get out of here, you know? Yeah. Um, well, anything else? Anything else you can think of? We get to see mm-hmm. uh, uh, Puss grow a big beard. We do. That's pretty funny. He kind of loses hope and he kind of <laughs> decides he's not Puss in Boots anymore and he grows this crazy beard. Yeah. Um... <laughs> For more, he was in a beard more of the movie than I thought he'd be. That's true, that's true. And also some great action sequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, and you can can rent it now. So we saw it in the theater, but you can rent uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, uh, anywhere you can rent movies, I guess. Um, I suppose. Yeah. So that's it. Anything else? Anything else? Highly recommend it. Fantastic movie. And it's rated R. Get ready for... No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Get ready for Shrek 5, by the way. Uh, do you think that's what they're getting us ready for? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I've heard they might reboot Shrek, but yeah, maybe it's just... There, there's a little tease at the end. There's a little whisper of Shrekness <laughs> at the end. And, uh, and and it also has lots of swordplay, Nate. Do you, do you enjoy that? Yes. The, the choreography was great. It was. Yeah, especially in one of the final battles. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of times animation, they just figure, well, it's animation. Everybody will just bounce and jump around with swords. And uh, this was very, you almost felt like, I think one of you walked out saying, this felt like an action movie, like a live action movie. Like yeah. the, the sword play and the action scenes, you were as interested in, in the movement. Yeah, but they were watching able to like... Like a Marvel movie. Yeah, but as a Marvel movie, they were able to like make the stakes greater and make the, the scope larger because it was animated to just such an awesome, magical, fantastical experience. It yes. Um, oh, and, and, and you know, as, as Shrek movies have done... There's always references to nursery rhymes and fairy mm. tales and storybook stories that we all know. Um, there's a there's a few places in this movie that are just jammed yeah. full of jokes from yeah. fairy tales, right? Like doesn't uh, Jack Horner, big Jack Horner, not little Jack Horner, no, he's big, big Jack big now, Jack hasn't he? He's got kind of a museum full of like he's obsessed with collecting relics and artifacts from different fairy tales. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of jokes in there. There's plenty of them. There's a ton. Which is really fun to, like, pause it and stop it. There's been a lot of videos I've seen on YouTube lately of, like, things you may have missed about that movie. Like, oh. little details. Okay. And it is it is more packed than you even think, even with all the stuff that they show you uh, right in front of you. So it's definitely a movie to rewatch if you've already seen it. I recommend that as well. Yeah. Chock full. Chock full. Chock full. Um, all right. Um, anything else? Nate, you got anything else? Uh, no, not really. Just the fact that... It's an awesome movie. Even if you were considering watching it, just watch it. Yeah. Trust me. You'll, and even you'll if you aren't, watch it. Do it now. <laughs> you will thank Nate and Elliot. And I, yeah, it's one of those movies where like, if it comes on, uh, I bet you will go, oh, I'll just watch it for 10 minutes. I'll just watch it for 10 minutes. I bet you'll watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those movies, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's it. Let's close it out. And that's all for this segment of What Do The Boys Think? Let's talk about Mando. Mandalorian, it's time. Oh, what I don't like about streamer series is that you get eight or nine episodes of something and then you have to wait a year. But finally, the wait is over. The Mandalorian has returned. And if you know anything about me, I love me some Star Wars. I love all flavors of Star Wars. And we're getting a lot of different flavors now. You got your Andors and your Rogue Ones for the grown-up people. And then you got your, uh, you know, your Book of Boba Fett, which got a little silly, got a little uh, broad. And then you got your Mandalorian. What I love about Mandalorian is this kind of a... It's a, not to use a baseball metaphor, but it's a line drive right down the middle. It is, it is um, a little bit serious, a little bit fun, all adventure. It's all about adventure. And even the, the score, every time they hit the adventure score at the end during the credits, it, it, I, I try to explain to my kids, it feels like vintage Battlestar Galactica or even in the days of Knight Rider or the powers of Matthew Starr, there's an old pull, um, uh, deep pull. Uh, it's, it's, it's that brass coming in, and it's, it's got this late 70s, early 80s adventure show sound to the score. It is not John Williams. It is, and, and then they bring in the kind of those tribal sounds also, um, but it's that da-da-da-da. It's like I'm taken back to late 70s, early 80s, Family adventure shows. And again, I talked about this in the earlier segment. That's giving me something I don't get uh, in other shows. And it's also giving me Star Wars. Now that we're into this, I, I will talk about this first episode. I don't know that it was a gangbusters episode for me. It wasn't a, a 10 out of 10. But I keep reminding myself, I get Star Wars every week now. For a, for a little bit at this time, every week now, I get to go to a galaxy far, far away and there are moments in this where I have to pinch myself and say to the kid in me, this is as good as the movies. It's This is a TV show. We are watching a TV show where we are getting movie level effects and production value and actors. And it's just like, it blows my mind. Uh, you know, you youngsters today, first of all, get off my porch while I'm whittling. But second of all, you don't know how good you have it. You, you turn your nose up at Star Wars this and Star Wars that or whatever streamer series you're into. And I got to tell you, uh, the level of television and now even with streamers bringing in feature quality television is amazing. Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are in a TV show right now. That is nuts. That is, that's cuckoo crazy. 
So, so that's how, that's the level of these episodic shows that they're bringing in this level of talent. So now let's get to Mandalorian. We're in season three. Was it worth the wait? I love the Mandalorian a lot. So I'm a little swayed. I'm already, um, I'm already salivating before it starts. And it had a lot of those signature Star Wars elements in it. It had super badass armored Mandos, but then it also had cute little animatronic puppety muppety creatures which we haven't gotten from Andor. Um, we've been, uh, you know, I realize how much I've, I've missed that. And it is shamelessly puppety. There's a new big bad guy revealed. And, and this is not going to be a spoiler uh, discussion. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just going to kind of give my reaction to it. Uh, if you're thinking about watching it, um, you know, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, there are new bad guys revealed. Um, and, and they are old school. They are makeup and uh, animatronics. I'm sure there might have been some some tweaks here and there. CGI, uh, now we have the ability to tweak things on camera that, that you don't even realize. But for the most part, I'm seeing actors in physical makeup and um, puppets, giant puppets, small puppets. We get some little tiny creatures that, um, you know, say what you want about the rise of Skywalker. It did give us uh, a cute little Babu freak who is a miniature mechanic creature. So now they're like, you like the Babu freak? Well, we're going to give you five of those. So there's uh, a bunch of little Babu freaks that help uh, repair uh, a particular droid um, that, that Mando needs repaired. Um, we get to see Grief Cargo again. Grief Cargo? I don't know. Apollo Creed in a robe. That's, that's who he is. It's Apollo Creed in Star Wars with a, with a salt and pepper goatee. And he's, he's running a town in Navarro, the planet Navarro, I believe is the, the, the name of it. Um, so it is kind of resetting the status quo of the series. Uh, it got a little serialized, like, will we get little baby Yoda Grogu? His name is Grogu. Will we get little baby Grogu to the Jedis? Then we did. And then he trained a little bit. And then he wanted to come back to Mando. So it's it's still Mando and this little guy. It's still a tough guy and a little baby on an adventure. And I think they're, I like that there is a big goal on this series that if you've been watching the series, and oddly enough, if you watch the Book of Boba Fett, they dropped one episode that was all Mandalorian in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett series, which was weird because it has nothing to do with the Book of Boba Fett. It is a Mandalorian episode, and it moves that character forward in a big way. I feel like um, in the future, they maybe need to retrofit that one Book of Boba Fett episode into this series, make it a special episode of the Mandalorian, because as I say, it's all about the Mandalorian and it's all about, uh, the last Mandalorian warriors that are this, uh, sect of Mandos that are still keeping to a very strict code of never removing their helmet. So that explains why there are some versions of Mandalorians that take their helmets off all the time, uh, that we've seen in the animated series and we've, we've seen many places. So, um, but this you know, that John Favreau and Dave Filoni, they've kind of created this mythology around the Mandalorians that if you are a hardcore Mandalorian, you never take your helmet off for anybody. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing they don't shower in it, but other than that, when they get out into public, they always hide their faces, which is a very interesting kind of thing to uh, mythologize, if I can use that word. And so he was accused by one of his um, authority figures in that sect. Have you ever removed your helmet? And if you've been watching the show for two seasons, he got a little soft and a little, you know, he, he's removed his helmet twice. He removed it once at the end of episode one uh, because uh, IG-11 had to care for his wounds and needed to see his face for some reason. I can't remember. And uh, he figured, well, it's a droid. I'll remove my helmet for the droid. But in at the end of episode two, he had a moment with little baby Grogu when he was saying goodbye. And baby Grogu deserved to see his face, to say goodbye to his father figure uh, just once. So he did remove his helmet. Oh, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting when they had to break into this uh, this bunker full of like, I don't know what they are, imperialists that are still uh, empire supporters. I, I forget what the political situation is now. But it looked just like a Death Star bunker and they had to break in there and he had to take his face off. I'm sorry. He had to take his helmet off for some facial recognition software um, to identify himself in some, uh, you know, he had to get his face scanned. I, I haven't watched these episodes in a year. I made that very clear. Uh, anyway, he's taking his helmet off a couple of times to help people. 
He needed to. He absolutely needed to. In a couple of places, he felt the need to. And now he's been accused by uh, by th- this uh, authority figure. You've removed your helmet, so now you must mo- go. You are a Mandalorian no more unless you go back to Mandalore and cleanse yourself in the waters of the mines of Mandalore. Uh, I don't know what, you know, that's all I know. And he's got to... It sounds like he's got to go get baptized to come back to Jesus. That's what it sounds like. But anyway, and, and of course, the, the planet of Mandalore has been ravaged by war and nobody's gone back. So he's going to go back. So that is the overall reason for this season. The reason for the season. So they've kind of, as I can see from this first episode, they've kind of plotted this out like a video game. Like, well, you don't just go to Mandalore and dip yourself in this water. It's not, no, before you do that, uh, he needs uh, uh, helpers to help him somehow get there or navigate. He needs to go meet some people. Uh, he needs a certain droid um, to help him. But that droid was destroyed. He was a destroyed droid, as Dr. Seuss might say. This destroyed droid has a memory chip that he needs to um, reboot. He needs to get key components. So it is all like a video game where he's like, oh, well, in, before I go to Mandalore... I got to get this droid helper to go with me. Oh, he's broken. I, I need some very specific part, and I got to go to this other planet for that. So it's it's like, you know, you got to get the, the the key to unlock the box that gives you the weapon that goes to the location. So that does feel a little video game, but I think that Favreau is just giving himself some room to have some uh, missions of the week. Um and that's where I think this show soars is when it has a mission of the week. We get focused on, we're going to go to this planet and get this thing from this guy or this girl. Uh, we, we, we got to do it from this, from this frog lady. Uh, we got to take this frog lady to her home with her eggs, you know, like you, you got to have one of those kind of plots. So, um, it, it was a shorter episode than I thought, uh, when it was over, I did really say out loud, Oh, that's it. Okay. Um, but then when I sat back, I thought, well, what did we get in this episode? We got to meet old friends. We got to see some cool little Babu Freak creatures. Um, we get kind of the table set for the whole season of like, okay, this is how this is going to go. And also in this standalone episode from the Book of Boba Fett, we know that uh, Bo- uh, uh, Mando got a new ship. I was really sad to see the Razor Crest go. It was a big old bathtub with two jets on the side. It was stumpy and goofy, and I loved it. And... Uh, I will say, spoiler alert from uh, past seasons, they done blew it up. They done blown up the whole Razor Crest. That was like blowing up the Millennium Falcon to me, and I really hated it. But then he got in this N1 fighter from the prequels. Probably one of the few good things from the prequels is this cool, uh, pointy fighter ship that uh, they designed for Episode One. And what's cool about this one is they sandblasted off all the yellow paint and so it's this silver hot rod with pieces of it gutted and ripped off. So Mando, he's all in his silver armor and he gets in his silver beat up hot rod ship and it's a smaller ship and uh, little baby Grogu, he gets a little pod to sit in in the back. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, it, you had to blow up one ship. You replaced it with a pretty cool ship. It's a little meaner and leaner and smaller. Um, and so uh, that's what he's flying and he is uh, going on his mission to start to put together the pieces of a team that will get him to Mandalore, that will get him kind of restored as the warrior he wants to be. And I think we're, we're dropping in some story points here of like people asking Mando, is that what you want to be anymore? Do you even care? Do you even want to be a, we now know that he's troubled by, do I even want to be a bounty hunter? Am I a warrior? Uh, Grief Karga, not to give too much away, but you know, he, he is, uh, kind of the sheriff of a very happy town. And, uh, and he's kind of like, I need a lawman here. I need a, I need some muscle here. I could set you up with a real nice spread of land and a nice house. And you could retire here, Mando. You wouldn't have to go after bounties. You wouldn't have to be looking over your shoulder. You could settle down. So I think that they've, they've laid that groundwork for uh, this whole season. He is trying to reestablish who he is under the code of the Mandalorians. But they've also dropped this little bit of doubt into his head and into our heads. Is that who you really want to be? Are, are you really supposed to be a warrior who just continues adventures forever? Um, or are you going to settle down? And to that end, I hope that uh, there's some middle ground there. And I think that John Favreau in a recent interview has said, 
look, I don't have an end game for these characters. Uh, they could have adventures forever. And that was music to my ears. I think some people are a little upset about that or, or a little concerned about that. Everybody wants things to have an end game, quote unquote. Everybody wants to know where we're going. And I think that in a broad sense, he knows where he's going. You have to when you plot out a TV series. But I have missed characters that just kind of live on forever. Um, I've missed the James Bonds and Indiana Jones that in your mind, when you leave the theater, when you turn off the TV, you can kind of feel like they are just out there having adventures always. And so I kind of like that Favreau is, he's kind of leaning back and seeing what the show is going to do. He's going to see what the fans respond to. And he is making no promises that this is headed towards some ultimate closure. Uh, this isn't Breaking Bad. You know, this is this is an adventure character. And I love seeing this adventure character just continue to be painted into corners that he has to get out of over and over again. And he could do that forever as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I was a little miffed that the the mission was to take Grogu to where he belongs with the Jedi and then everybody loved that character so much that we've kind of said, you know what? He's chosen to stay with the Mandalorian. So now we're in this weird place where like he's raising a baby, I guess. I don't know what what if I were to put myself in in Mando's head, what what is he going to do ultimately? I don't know that he knows or has communicated that, but uh, is he going to raise a child? Is, you know, this this Grogu has um, he has Jedi like force powers. And we're going to see more and more of those. And Mando's not really equipped to to foster that, to cultivate that, to disciple that. Um, Luke Skywalker was, the Jedi were, and um, we have chosen to move away from that now. Grogu's not going to be discipled by Jedi. He's going to just kind of, uh, you know, roam the galaxy with the Mandalorian. So I don't ultimately know why that is happening. I don't know that the characters, if they were asked, if Mando was asked, what's his endgame? All he knows right now, finitely, is that he is going to Mandalore. He is going to um, go through this ritual, and he is going to get back what he's lost. And I think that typically when you when you tell a character that they're going to get back what they lost, that's what they think they want, but not what they need. So hopefully we're going to see what, what Mando really needs. So, uh, uh, oh, and I'll just wrap up by saying we got a uh, space battle amongst asteroids and space pirates. That was old school Star Wars, and they photographed all the asteroids and the space flights very much like Empire Strikes Back. I know we had, um, I know we had a battle like that in, I believe, Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, with those sonic blasts taking apart um, um, asteroids. But this was photographed in a more stark lighting kind of situation, and even the shape of the asteroids and the way they tumbled around, it felt like the Empire Strikes Back asteroid chase, and I loved it. Um, so I was all for that, and there was a, a lot of duck and hide and shoot cowboy and Indian kind of stuff that Mando was pulling on these space pirates. I won't spoil it for you, but it, you know it, it introduces new bad guys that are clearly going to be a problem for Mando through the rest of the series. And um, I, and I won't I won't tell you who the new bad guy is because you'll have to see him for yourself. Uh, but he is unlike anything we've seen in Star Wars. But yet he fits right into the galaxy that we already know. So that's it. That's kind of my unspoilery review of the Mandalorian. I'm glad it's back. Um, I, I give this episode maybe a, a, a B plus because I know it's going to get bigger and bigger. And I think they've given themselves room to grow. And so I can't wait for next week. And uh, maybe at the end of the season, we'll, we'll kind of do a big season wrap-up of what we thought. But uh, go check that out. Of course, that's on Disney+. Plus. Well, that's our show. I told you it was going to be a little bit of a grab bag uh, this week, but we're, we'll, have a, we'll have a guest next week. Well, we'll just keep changing it up. I do want to thank my boys, Elliot and Nate, for helping me talk about uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which you can get wherever you can rent movies. And of course, uh, The Mandalorian, it's back season three on Disney+. And then uh, I just, uh, I'd like to thank Natasha Leone and Ted Lasso and Peter Pan and all the other gang that I talked about. And uh, I don't know, you can just, just Google it. If you want to know where to watch all this stuff, you can just Google it. Um, and you know what? I am going to give away the bad guy. The bad guy of Mandalorian this this season, um, he's, <laughs> what is his name? Gorian Shard. But what I like to call him is 
uh, Chia Pet Jabba. Jabba Chia Pet. I'll take one of the others. Uh, he's very planty. That's what I'll say. Um, also, um, if you haven't checked out my dry bar comedy special, you can go to drybarcomedy.com or their app and you can see my, uh, half hour stand up comedy special munchkin cops. You can get a free month of their monthly service. If you use my promo code, Corey comedy, that's C O R Y C O M E D Y. And until next week, stay creative, stay collaborative. I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by.